everybody, this is James. And Marco. And Nabil. And this is the Movie Pals Podcast, podcast number 144. Today we are doing, I guess it's kind of like a special today, because we're doing a slightly older film that was remade. You know, I would say it's a penultimate <laughs> episode of our Francis Ford Coppola Corner, since this is the yeah. reason why we did this to begin with. Because that we are... True. We are, of course, the Francis Ford Coppola podcast. Forget those movie the friends. The rumors are true. Yeah, the rumors are true. So, usually, as ever, if, you, if this is your first time listening, this might sound weird that we're doing this film, but if you've been listening to us, you know, last at least last year, because we started this about a year ago for this special, but the Coppola Corner, we, we're reviewing every film from Francis Ford Coppola's filmography, starting from mm-hmm. Dementia 13 all the way to his newest film coming out eventually. Uh, megalopolis but what we're doing right now is we're i think we've done like 17 films by the guys i think i counted it yesterday so we only have like five or six left before we you know are technically done then we we'll go on hiatus until he yeah, comes up we, with metropolis we did a whole special episode just for the first godfather uh the second one we combined with another movie and the thing was that like i think that movie overtook the other like main movie so it's like these ones are kind of, you know, big, so it's kind of like, yeah, maybe we should talk about these a little bit more and give it more time. Yeah. As, you know, there's usually a lot of things going on with these films, so we thought, hey, for this one, we would just go over this. And the nice thing is that the movie, if you haven't figured it out from the title of the podcast, is that we are doing The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone, which was the 2020 director's cut re- release of The Godfather Part 3, basically, that came out originally in 1990. One thing it's we almost, do want to let you know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Marco. Oh, which almost kind of sparked our whole idea of doing the Coppola film. Yeah, because it was released uh, in 4K, and it's like, hey, you know, we'll we'll get into it. But it's one of those things that it's kind of like, hey, let's you know, we almost actually before we had done the Coppola corner, I think we had even planned maybe just doing like a marathon with all the Godfather films mm-hmm. at one point. Which now that I think about it, would have been fucking insane because of how long these movies are. Yeah, but uh, I mean, we did the Lord of the Rings. I mean, we can do it, right? But um, we've done every Fast film, so <laughs> yeah, you know, I think. we did do every Fast and Furious film too. Actually, all in one. You see, nowadays, I don't think we would have done that. We would have probably split them up. Yeah, because that's just crazy. I think we literally did like eight or nine films. Same with the uh, the Harry Potter stuff. By the way, I'm like, oh my oh, god, so many movies, eight of them. But I mean, those are movies I'd actually probably rewatch at least. So get back to certain films and it's like i think we've done a few marathons where i'm like there's a reason why i don't binge watch these things you know like god and i mean <laughs> yeah. the fast and furious ones was one of them i was like oh my god she there's a reason i haven't together. seen any of those movies in a long time since yeah and it's yeah it's, it's funny though it's like the new ones coming out i'm like i i'm i'm okay i don't need any rewatches i'm just gonna jump <laughs> right into fast 10 don't, don't worry you have the the legacy trailers out there to give you a recap of it yeah you can watch those uh what, what are those ones on youtube it's like fast and furious uh franchise in three minutes or less like okay that's cool tell me tell me more it's all you need <laughs> uh one thing i do want to say though before we get into our review of it is that we are just going to do overall spoiler on these much like the other Francis Ford Coppola films, it's kind of hard to not discuss certain things, certain aspects, if it's something that stood out to us. So we will be, uh, I don't I don't think anything's crazy spoilers. I mean, you'll know when we're talking about the end, when we get to spoilers, such and like that. But uh, for the most part, it is an overall spoiler warning. So um, if you haven't seen it, check it out first and then come back and listen to us. So without further ado, let's jump into our Francis Ford Coppola corner. 
Well, it's the Godfather Coda, the death of Michael Corleone. I felt that it could be provocative and uh, and a refreshing change. Also, I like the idea that Coda means that. It means a, a, a wrap-up or a uh, an illumination of the first two films, and that appealed to me very much. So what we like to do before every film is that we kind of bring you back around with us to verify and see what happened with Coppola between the last time that we did a review on it which is the last pod and today. And the nice thing is that as opposed to last time for New York stories, which was 1989, I didn't have a lot of info on that. This one, I have quite a bit of info to let you guys know about. So uh, obviously this is one of the bigger films in his uh, filmography. So Coppola felt that the first two films had told the complete Corleone saga. He intended part three to be an epilogue to the first two films. The dire financial situation initially caused by the failure of One from the Heart from 1982. If you guys all remember, you definitely knew that one bombed big time. So, yeah. I mean, it's funny that they write this, by the way, just jumping in before they, uh, I mean, like, dude, he had like six movies in between that just bombed. So I'm like, uh, what is that? <laughs> A lot of financial so that, issues in all his films. Yeah, that was the big one, though. He's like, goddamn Raul Julia. So that compelled him to take up Paramount's offer to make a third installment. Coppola and Puzo preferred the title The Death of Michael Corleone, but Paramount Pictures found that unacceptable. Al Pacino, Diane Keaton, and Talia Shire reprised their roles from the first two films. According to Coppola's audio commentary on the film in the Godfather DVD collection, Robert Duvall refused to take part unless he was paid a salary comparable to Pacino's. In 2004, on the CBS program 60 Minutes, Duvall said, If they paid Pacino twice what they paid me, that's fine, but not three or four times, which is what they did. When Duvall dropped out, Coppola rewrote the screenplay to portray Tom Hagen as having died before the story begins and created the character B.J. Harrison, played by George Hamilton, to replace the Hagen character in the story. Coppola stated that, to him, the movie feels incomplete without Duvall's participation. According to Coppola, had Duvall agreed to take part in the film, the Hagen character would have been heavily involved in running the Corleone charities. Julia Roberts was originally cast as Mary, but dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. Madonna wanted to play the role, but Coppola felt she was too old for the part. Rebecca Schaefer was set to audition. This is like the craziest like transition, right? But was murdered by an obsessed fan. And Winona Ryder mm -hmm. dropped out of the film at the last minute due to nervous exhaustion. Ultimately, Sofia Coppola, the director's daughter, was given the role of Michael Corleone's daughter. One thing I do want to bring up about that, too, is like, Apparently, like, they were, um, I don't know if you guys read it anymore, like, it was just, like a super last minute ad, because Winona Ryder literally dropped out, I think, like a week or two yeah. before filming was supposed to start, and the studio, right. I don't know what's up with Paramount and Coppola, but they were like, it's, it, yeah, you gotta, like, figure this out, and I guess they weren't giving him too much support with anybody age-wise for this one. And so, he didn't find a lot of people he could trust either, so he just, I think yeah. he just decided that his and, daughter and, and would be the best And I know a lot of people shit on her performance, including me, but it's like, I guess she reluctantly even accepted this. Like, she was, like, last, last place to, like, like... Call on a favor for It helps yeah. explain yeah. things, because it's like, yeah. he did have, like, three or four runner-ups before her, and it's like, when yeah. you got no one else, it's like, well, shit, trust family. Yeah, and if you read about the, the Rebecca Schaefer thing, it, it's kind of fucking nuts, too, by that, by the way. Like she was like, crazy. I think she was the front runner originally too. So, yeah. um, Winona Ryder. I mean, I great. wouldn't blame. 
I wouldn't blame Sophia so much as the writing, even. Like, she's a newer actress in this case. Like, she's not even really an actress, really, if you think about no, it. No, not so, really. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I think there's more to it than just, just her. Uh, while not as critically acclaimed as the first two films, it was still commercially successful, earning $136 million against a $54 million budget. The Godfather Part 3 went on to gather seven Academy Award nominations, including Best Actor, or I'm sorry, uh, including Best Director and Best Picture. The two, f- the film failed to win any of these awards, which made it the only film in the trilogy to do so. In September 2020, for the film's 30th anniversary, it was announced that a new cut of the film titled Mario Puzo's The Godfather, Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone, would have a limited theatrical release in December 2020, followed by a digital and Blu-ray release. Coppola said the film is the version he and Puso had originally envisioned, and it vindicates its status among the trilogy and his daughter Sophia's performance. So with that being said, let's get into our review of The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. Let's stop here for a moment to let you all know about Newsly. Newsly is an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. It picks up the most trending articles on the web on topics you choose at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time ever, the entire web becomes listenable all in one place. Browse articles from topics you choose and start playing. You can follow any topic as specific as you like from sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, or heck, even the Kardashians. Newsly will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. They even have digital radio. Did we mention they also have podcasts from over 80 countries? Well, they do. And guess what? The Movie Pals podcast is there, too. I started using Newsly as my default podcast player, and I can't think of ever going back. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link in our description. And make sure to use our promo code TMPALS. That's T-M-P-A-L-S to receive a one-month free premium subscription. Newsly, stop scrolling and start listening. We've sold the casinos. We have no interest in anything illegitimate. The church owns the large corporation. Worth six billion dollars. This deal can make you one of the richest men in the world. Friends, our business together is done. They're old partners. They're unhappy. They think you abandoned them. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Mr. Corleone, we have a problem. I say we make him dead, you give me the order, I'll take care of it. It's not personal, Godfather. It's only business. The Godfather Coda. The death of Michael Corleone. It's currently this version, and I guess with the the nineteen ninety version as well, sat at a total of eighty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is really good. Actually, Set. this is just for this version. The the oh, is it just for this version, version is like seventy something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so it's like you got a bump up, something. which is great. Yeah, just for you, Nabil. Just want to let you know. Yeah, thank you. Set in 1979, roughly 20 years after the events of the second film, 
It follows Michael Corleone, now in his 60s, as he seeks to free his family from crime and find a suitable successor to his empire. Directed by Francis Ford Coppola, written again by Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola. The original version of the film was released back in December 20th of 1990. The Coda version was released on December 4th, 2020. This had an original budget of $54 million, um, with a box office total of $136.9 million. And I will add a caveat, too, that I read that um, this, I think it's the second week of that release, but it's the same kind of weekend of Home Alone, I believe. Yeah. So it was, it still fared comparatively pretty well. Home Alone did better by, by about $15 million, but it also had a, yeah. So I think that, that from a number standpoint, that's still pretty good. So it's starring uh, Al Pacino, who returns as Michael Corleone, Diane Keaton as Kay Adams Corleone, Talia Shire as Connie Corleone, Andy Garcia as Vincent Corleone, Eli Wallach as Don Altobello, Joe Mantegna as Joey Zaza, George Hamilton as B.J. Harrison, Bridget Fonda as Grace Hamilton, Sofia Coppola as Mary Corleone, Raph Vallone as Cardinal Lamberto, Frank D'Ambrosio as Anthony Corleone. So, before we go into this version and we talk about all the whatever differences we can kind of glean from it, if any, let's talk about the original Godfather Part 3. James, I'm going to start with you. Yeah. I'm going to add, I'm, I'm assuming you have, but have you actually seen this film before? And it, the original version, and if you have, um, what were your thoughts on the original before we go into this? I'm yeah. I've seen the original uh, the original version, uh, which was part three at the time. Obviously, uh, I've, I think I've seen it two two times before, probably like the original, like and then when they came out on Blu-ray. So uh-huh. um, I'm one of those people that like I've never really had a huge issue with it. I guess compared to most people, but um, I remember you know liking parts of it. But there's parts of it that I, you know obviously are stick out a lot in that original version as well, especially pacing wise. I think so. Overall, I didn't have an issue with it as bad as some people did. So, yeah. And Marco, was this your first time watching, uh, or have you? I'm sorry, have you watched Part Three before at all? The original Part Three, or um, is this kind of your first expose to Godfather I've, Part Three in general? I've seen the original before. Uh, okay. I saw it a while ago. I actually remember seeing the trailer for this in theaters and. The movie posters, wow. and I I didn't you get wow. like what the big deal was. You wow. Yeah, because I saw Home Alone in theaters. You probably saw it on release day. Yeah. So yeah, I was a, I was still in diapers, probably still because. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in <laughs> fact, baby. I think um, my my dad was a huge fan of the Godfather franchise, and um, we just never got a chance to go see it. I think they loved going to the movies. Me and my brother, and they probably thought that this was something that my brother and I probably wouldn't have liked, and. At that age, they were probably right. But yeah, I thought I was going to be the minority here. I'm, I'm with James. I, I, I don't hate or I didn't hate the original part three. I, I know people were like, oh, it's the worst one in the franchise. It's horrible. It's, I was like, I mean, it's, it's a little more, it's, it's the most boring one of all of them. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, it, it's still, you know, felt like the godfather to me i you know i i didn't really get the 
the super hate on it. So I do you think still enjoyed do you it. You think it was like because of the time difference between the two releases, maybe? Like it'd been like eighteen years. I think right, nostalgia does play into people, it. It's yeah. almost like I know this is sidetracking, but it's almost like how people got excited for Star Wars and you know, like but then they waited so long and it's like, oh fuck, uh, you know. I, I, I think <laughs> but I, I think it also has to do a lot with its its structure. And, you know, I'll, I'll probably dive more into it, you know, as, as we talk more about it on the pod. But um, there, <laughs> I think that had to do a lot, a lot to, with it because I, I felt you, you mentioned the pacing on the first two movies. There's a lot of exposition in the, in the first two movies, but the pacing of it and the content involved in it actually keeps you interested in the story where I think. In part three, in the original, not Coda, the original, I felt that that was what was really lacking, you know, in, in the beginning of the movie. Because it really, for me, like the original, it started to really get good, like, you know, deeper into the movie, like 30, 40 minutes into it, we start to get into like the real plot of things. And it's like, oh, okay, well, this feels more like The Godfather. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, this is definitely not my first time watching, or it, it's not the first time I've ever seen any version of The Godfather Part 3. I've seen it multiple times in the past. Um, but I also, I felt that it was definitely not as strong as the original two. There was, I, I didn't like how, this is going to be weird to say, but it, even though this was made in 1990, it, it felt very 90s to me. It didn't feel like the back setting. And uh, James and I had a little conversation. Yeah. This is more in regards to Coda. <laughs> but we we both thought it was set in I'm, like 1990. Yeah. I'm dumb as you shit. Know, I always assumed same. this was set in the 90s yeah, for some so fucking I. reason. As like a kid, I think. And then not no, until same. recently. And then for I was the longest like, time I thought the same. Wait a minute. Because yeah. like, there's, there's a couple of hints, right? Like, I don't know how dumb I am, but I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> no, I'm there with His you. kids would be like 40 right i was mm-hmm. like wait what the You'd hell be like fucking dead <laughs> no one has a cell phone or a phone like a normal phone and then i was like why are they driving old ass cars and i was like wait a minute <laughs> this is not set that far in i'm dumb future. as shit <laughs> but then it like, makes you wonder like he seems hella older than he's supposed to be in this film like it's 20 years he seems compared to the michael we saw in godfather part two like he seems much older that's stressful well, i mean they did roll with what they probably assume like Al Pacino's done some pretty heavy living, so yeah. um, well, <laughs> he hasn't aged gracefully as much as some other actors that were in those films, and I think they got it pretty close. I, I actually think they actually <laughs> yeah. did him a little bit of a favor, to tell you the truth. Mm, maybe. <laughs> and so, but, severe stress know, does uh, make you age a lot quicker, I mean, too. he's he's oh. playing with life, matters of life and death a lot of the time. No, nope. Marco. Scarface and Serpico makes you age a lot. It's a lot of trucks. A lot of cigarettes, too. Throw a beanie on this man, for the love of oh, God. Yeah, so, like, I've seen it before. I was never really a big fan of it. The only thing that ever stood out for me from this film, and it still does in this version, the Coda version, is uh, Andy Garcia's character, Vincent yeah. Corleone. I, I, I liked him then. I again until I started watching I was like, oh, yeah. Really? Zaza. Yeah. He, he oh, was my. Uh, yeah, when, he's, when he does that little. That's a nice shot. Also, That's my this favorite is, uh, fucking Andy Garcia's got to be the hairiest man I've ever seen in my fucking life. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the chest hair. Immediately thought of Nabil. I was like, man, that's what people got to deal with, huh? <laughs> oh, it's looking good, man. Looking good. Like I can't hate him. like 
That's a carpet, man. That's a. <laughs> rub your face against it like you're sitting on a bearskin yeah. rug. A fucking That's missing a bad Lincoln guy from Ocean's shit. Eleven. What the fuck's going on here? <laughs> so, so yeah, that's that's my kind of history. That it was never really a big thing for me. It was I kind of wrote it off most of the time too. I was like, watch the first two. You don't need to see the third one. It's fine. Um, but with that, we we're obviously watching the Coda version. I'm gonna assume I know the answer to this, but just to ask collectively, is this the first time both of us or three of us are watching Co- the Coda version, or has has yes. James actually gone ahead and watched it ahead of time just to be like, you know, I gotta no. see. Nope, I always waited for you guys. I want, I, I want oh. eye contact, James. <laughs> I'm just like, no, no, okay. yeah, first time. No, no, this okay, was, I it. this was really the one that was, you know, yeah, yeah. Kind of how this so, started. so then let, let's start with you, Marco. Just briefly, watching the Coda version. What did you think about the film? I I liked it, man. I thought it was an improvement from the original. I think that the way they edited this film makes it more concise, makes it feel even more like an actual Godfather movie. And uh, I mentioned previously that the original, you got to get through a lot of the meat before it starts to feel like it. And, you know, as it, as it turns out, like that's really what they did. Like they gutted like 30 minutes of like the first few minutes of the original to get into things and and move scenes around and i think that kind of jump you right into the story yeah Yeah. it really did help um i didn't know that uh this one was actually shorter than the original like most director's cuts are we expect them to be longer you know and they, they add more stuff and this one is the opposite and he like took stuff out so he took like the opposite george lucas approach and George's like, no, you gotta add, you gotta add more stuff. You gotta like, add it. Why don't you, you add know, the Jedi? You know. you know the Jedi will. Uh, <laughs> you see, if you George, take the midichlorian out, movie. you're not gonna. Then it's not gonna make sense. But um, but I, I think it helped a lot with its pacing. I was interested in it a lot more. I I think it helped with the character arcs a lot more because you're you're just right. You're thrown right in the thick of things right away, and it and it helps progress the story a lot more it really does serve as an epilogue as he stated. And it, it is, it's the shortest one in the franchise and it, it's just a, an, a small little, this is what ends up happening to, to the family. And I think it works. Mm-hmm. Nice. And James, what were your thoughts about this particular version of the cut of the film? Yeah. Um, I agree with Marco. It's not a perfect movie. It's not, it's still the weakest one of the bunch, but I think this is the definite way to go with it now. And I, I like that they dropped the part three with it, too. It's like, it, I don't know if you guys watched the intro beforehand from um, right um, with Coppola in the beginning. So, like, he, he talks about it a little bit more. And it's like, it, if you look at it as just like an epilogue, like like Marco said, like, oh, this is what happens from the results of the other two films. It actually makes a lot more sense with how it's set up to me, especially with how, like, like. Like, like, you know, there's not too much really happens in this outside of some betrayals and people rising up. But and, you know, it doesn't hit the epic levels of the first two films. But if you look at those first two as like a duology and this is just like this, is like the this and this is what happens 20 years later, you know, like, OK, it actually makes a lot more sense. I, I, I like this one a lot better pacing wise. I think it works, too. Um, It looks great, by the way, in 4K. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nabil oh, and I does. actually got to watch yeah. this on. 
4K disc, and Nabila even compared it with the streaming version. And I mean, I think you'll jump into that in a little bit, but um, yeah, I overall I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't perfect, but it still was a much better watch overall. Um, compared to my memories of the third one, because once again, I, I don't really, yeah, I don't recall too it. much of it, but there are yeah. things that I was waiting for, and I was like, oh, that never happened. I guess so. I was like, <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I really do agree with you guys too. This is far, this version is far superior to, in my opinion, to the part, the original part three version in the nineties. The he just had a much more clear vision in the story. It actually feels more like a godfather film mm-hmm. yeah. it, it doesn't feel like you know the godfather uh series in general compared to some other mafia movies it's much more about the politics involved than it is about the violence and there is aspects of violence of course but how they got up to that and the wheelings and dealings about you know everybody's kind of uh end result of what they want out of this that's what they've always been about and part three the original one from what i can remember it had that but it just seemed like i never understood the motivations of everybody in there at first and in this film it just feels much more clear like what michael's trying to do what vincent's trying to do mm-hmm. what the um it's much what, more the vatican is the doing too would you say Nibel? yeah like and like marco said too like it feels more like a godfather movie to me it, it does it parallels yeah. in the other two movies as well and it, it's it's almost like a kind of like a future reflection of the combination of the first two films, like with, with, you know, what, what ends up happening to Michael Corleone, he, he, he suffers uh, a stroke, whereas his dad suffers a heart attack and mirrors that, um, the, the, the theme surrounding Vincent and Sonny, they're, they're both, they both overtly want to protect the family and are very like, uh, quick to, um, push the button, so to speak, you know? But I, I kind of like how it 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 tries to course correct itself from the mistakes of the of the first two films, even though we get the ending that we get. Um, I I like how you start to see like holy shit, like the family is just repeating the same things over and over again as much as they, yeah. they start to get away, and and well, this yeah. this edit this version showcases that a lot more and really puts it more into in, into the. Um, into yeah, the I think that mm-hmm. I think that in this film, especially um, Michael is it's it's much clearer to see that Michael has always been aware of where the mafia families were going, mm-hmm. and like even like the lead up where they were building in this film and talking about like how he sold off the casinos and was trying to you know got everybody money because he was trying to get out of the business and really like seriously trying to go legitimate while everybody else is still sitting around trying to find a way to make money off of this like yeah. he has always been the visionary and knows like the trends it's the same thing with what was going on in the godfather part two when they jumped into the casino business to try to pivot from you know the small gang kind of community thing yeah like he he has always been central part of it uh and and helping the family prosper but nobody ever sees it and this film helped kind of piece that all together to show that he still has that mentality of like i'm trying to to create a a longevity for the family name while everybody else is still kind of sitting in the back and nobody seems to get that and that's introduction of, of vincent and michael and or uh, introduction of vincent i should say specifically like 
having kind of the mixed views of it. But um, like we talked about, like James had touched on, like the idea of Coda and the, it, it being an epilogue to you know what the original two films were. Like this, this is showing direct results of all the good and bad decisions that he's done in the last two films and where he's at now. And we kind of end in that same sense of like by the fil- time the film ends, what is a result of everything that he's tried to do? because of his actions and others around him who aren't listening to him and then the very end of like where he is at the end of his life so um to, to kind of pivot onto that and we've talked about um just what were our thoughts about the film but let's talk about the characters a bit more um mark i want to go with you in regards to any garcia's character vincent corleone what did you think about his introduction to this do you think he was you know kind of at par with michael or do you think he was just kind of like a nuanced character you know what, what, what do you think about him being kind of given a, a big starlight a spotlight in this film i've always liked andy garcia's characters vincent i i always I, I agree with james i always felt like he was the highlight of the film and the character that always stuck out like i said my favorite one of my favorite scenes is you know when he takes that joey zaza he's on the fucking horse he doesn't have horseback guys Person impersonating he pulls a, he pulls a joker, cool, bro. It's pretty bad. Yeah. He he does he does a full like freaking one eighty on the fucking horse, turns around and yeah. bam, shoots him. I was like, Man, that's fucking awesome. That's fucking awesome. And he says and he said, all he does is say his name. He breaks his name I too. too. And I was I even was like, Oh shit, I forgot about this part. Because <laughs> at it's first I was very like, Who's doing scene. this? And then it's like, oh shit, never mind, it's him. I was like, Okay, yeah. alright. <laughs> it's a very okay. quotable scene, right. man. Okay. I was like, What but, the fuck, man? I, I think I don't think he's at odds with his uncle Michael. I think he's he wants he sees that his uncle is vulnerable and he wants to help. And at, at first, you're you're first time coming in, you're probably seeing like, oh, he's power hungry. He just wants to, you know, usurp his Sonny's uncle. Sonny's kid and, too, by the way. Yeah, so but like- right, but you start to see that no, he just he has the same uh like protection factor that his that his dad had his dad just wanted to protect the family. And I, I kind of liked the chemistry between him and, and Michael and it helps kind of um, it helps Vincent grow because he's, he, as he gets brought in, he's being like coached on how to be and how to, you know, act around like others that aren't outside the family. And Michael ends up getting, gets to tell, you know, his, his nephew, all the things he wanted to tell his brother, what he couldn't tell him, he he saves him in a way he couldn't save his brother, and I like that. Like all the things, he, all the advice that he gives them, it helps Vincent grow. And and yeah, you could say his his character growth and his character arc is you know, all you know, it happens like you know, overnight. But you you kind of see his growth, like where at the end he's a bit more mature. He's he's less likely to you know, kill someone right off the bat, but he takes his uncle, his uncle's advice and, and grows as a character. And, and I like that. It makes him like one of like the characters that stands out the most for me. Yeah. I, I saw you were, you're nodding a bit in agreement there, uh, James with, with Marcos, anything yeah. more you wanted to kind of share about Vincent? No, I mean, it, it makes sense with how they're going. I like how it's kind of like, he's, he's kind of like a rough neck when he starts out and it's like, you know, there's a few scenes where I, I like it where even early on, like Michael understands, like, you know, the he even though I mean, there's there's almost like a question, like, is he really like related to us in the beginning at first? And then 
yeah. you know, uh, Connie verifies that, yeah, no, that's, you know, that's, he's part of the family. And like Michael, including him in the um, photo is like the first step. Like, hey, come in the photo with us. Cause I think Vincent's just looking for like a family too, really. Cause he's never really had a family, you know? And it's kind of like they bring, even like the way he dresses in the beginning is kind of, you know, not very proper. And he's wearing like a, oversized coat. He's like a thug. Yeah, yeah, he looks like a street thug, basically. But by the end, he's yeah. wearing like a full-out suit and stuff, like tailored suit. So it's like, you can see his transition. And I, I, I gotta say, just the performance, too, man. I think Andy Garcia is a really good actor, too. So Yeah. Agreed. I, I, I do. I mean, it's hard to not to bring it up, though, that like the romance, though, with his cousin, but apparently that's common with... I, we, I, I looked it up. <laughs> Sicilians do this. I, like, I don't know why this is like common. a new thing to James, but yes, my family's married it's, cousins. Yeah, it's common. I was like, okay, never mind. I thought I'm, I'm just you know Westerner coming in, looking at it, and apparently a lot they of weren't cousins. hiding it either. They kept mentioning no. it. You know, the cousins, first no, cousins, that's oh, first like, cousins. And, by the way, not that you know, second or third would make it okay either. I'm just saying, like, it was man. To be fair, open. to be fair, Michael um, was against it from the get go. He's they they make a mention of him being quote unquote old fashioned, which that doesn't seem to make any sense to me. I feel like if he's he was a bit more modern, but yeah, but he wasn't interested in the cousins getting Apparently together to begin with. I mean, I'm not going to dive into too much, but it's it's very common in certain countries still, even today. No, so I, no. you know, I'm not going to brag on that with people's stuff, but. At the time, it was kind of weird because I just didn't know. So I was like, "Okay, well, okay." But I mean, right. he does—he does cut it off at the end, though. So he does. That does show to... actually more, even more maturity on his end because he's the one. Yeah. Like, hey, he's like, I understand. In order, because he—he becomes basically the 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 head of the family at the end. He becomes mm-hmm. the don. Yeah. yeah. So he understands. Like, hey, that's why he tells her that, and he and he doesn't show any affection toward her after that. I'm like, okay. Um, well, because he understands the weight of the responsibility, he's seen it with his father. He's seen it with Michael, oh, yeah. and he and, knows that it's not going to be Michael some small thing. Michael tells him, "Like this is the, yeah. the what you have to do in order the to price, yeah. accept this." And he's like, "Okay, the price he pays." I really like that scene where he becomes the dawn, and everyone's coming in. It's very reminiscent of like the first movie when uh, Michael becomes the dawn, and everyone's coming in and you know kissing his hand and stuff. So I, I like that scene yep. a lot. So yeah. yeah. No, it it worked out pretty well. Um, yeah, and, and I agree with with your guys' points. And to be honest, um, he still his his character arc was much more clear here too. You know, there's there's a there's a kind of side thing about him being a double agent, essentially going undercover with um, Altabello and his family to try to figure out what they were planning to do. And you know, this could this is a lack of clear memory because i haven't seen the original godfather part three in quite some time but i remember that was there was a lot of um confusion of like whether or not he really was falling into deep on both sides and was going to betray michael um up until like the very end and so i knew that i was confused i remember being at least confused back when i'd watched the original film but watching this one it's very clear like no he's he's he would never do anything to michael so i I do like that this kind of at least for me clarified it more Going in more on that, Nabil, I like that uh, they learned from their mistakes and and knew that their enemies would try to, you know, force them to betray like a family member and that that's a trap. Yeah. And I like that he gives them that advice and like, they're going to tell you to betray me. It's a trap, you know, act insulted. And I'm like, dude, I like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's talk about the main guy, Michael Corleone. Um, do we feel like this... 20 year old you know past version of him from the original film 
is still the same Michael? Do we feel like there's a change here? James, how do you feel uh, Al Pacino did with bringing back this character after so long? It is really good. It's one of those things where um, he's he's older, and it, I think he understands that, like you guys said, the way that the world is moving and the way that they're doing things needs to change, much like in the second film when they had to change things. This is like another turn for everyone, you know, and it's he's wiser, but he's also, because of all the things that he's done, it has left him with almost practically nothing, especially by the end, you know? And I think they do a good job of kind of conveying that like he's you know he's a very sad man if you if you see these scenes where he's just by himself or and i think that's why he attaches to vincent to a point he's you know he doesn't he's not very close with his own son anthony you know and even anthony was doing things that his dad wanted him to do and then he eventually is you know becomes an opera singer and he's like and he only reluctantly even does that because his mom kind of just kind of cuts in to kind of be like hey this is what he really wants to do and I think Michael's out of options at that point, and it's like he's just—he's like, not okay, trying to lose, push his family further away. Yeah, yeah, he's—he seems close to his daughter though, but it's also because she's the youngest, and I think yeah. it's one of those things where I think Al Pacino does really well in this film with his acting. Like he's—you know—yeah, he yells a lot, and he does like you know he's a <laughs> typical Al every time they try, shit, I but, try I mean, to get out, they keep bringing me back. In. He's like what? <laughs> Especially the scene where he's a stroke. I know it's not supposed to be funny, but I don't know. Kind of chuckled a little bit. It is a like, bit intense. I was like, hmm, I was like this uh, seems a bit he gonna be okay? overdoing it, but okay. Is he fucking around? Oh, never mind. He's really good. Okay. <laughs> I think his scene at the very end, too, we'll talk about later, is really yeah. good. I liked the... Very powerful. Yeah. The silence of it, too. And I was like, oh, shit. So, um, yeah. I thought it was solid overall. Yeah. What about uh, on your end, Marco? Did you feel any... Any stronger connection with Michael in this version? Did you did you feel a bit sympathetic to his his struggles over the last few years since we've seen him? Yeah, similar to what James was saying. You know, he's basically everyone close to him is has either died or or left him. And again, that's that's one of the things that he's trying to have Vincent learn from the get go. Like this is the price you pay is everything you know that's close to you that you love. You have to separate yourself from that because otherwise you're going to end up, you know, hurting them or they're going to end up getting killed. And he wants, you know, the, the, the future Don to learn from those mistakes, to learn from everything that Michael has had to pay to keep his family successful and safe because he knows that he's going to end up alone and he wants to kind of prepare his nephew for that. And it, it, you know, it, it makes him kind of sad that, you know, he's he's done all these things. He's pretty much on the brink of getting his family out of, you know, criminal organizations and out of organized crime and into, I guess, you know, quote unquote, legitimate society. And, you know, what like what was it all for? I think he even says that, you know, at some point in the movie, what was it all for? You know, if he's got no one there to share it with or if he ends up being completely alone and after seeing him go through his journey, you see him from Godfather one being surrounded by family, surrounded by people who love him and adore him to just being completely fucking isolated is just, you know, it's, it's tragic, you know, it just leaves you kind of feeling almost bad for the guy. 
you know there was a scene that i felt like really summed up michael's character it, it was a scene where i had to pay more attention because the disc froze <laughs> when i was watching it <laughs> but um he's he's uh, having a relation uh, or a private conversation with his uh, ex-wife well i don't know if they're really divorced but his ex-wife diane keaton's character Kay adams mm-hmm. and um she they're ba- he's basically kind of opening up to her saying that you know he wants her to forgive him for everything he's done and why and kind of goes into you know the reasons he did what he did and it seemed whether whether they're you feel like they're justified or not you you feel like he's being sincere like everything he he didn't want to be in you know the business that he's in he only did it to appease his father and help him because he was in a rough time and there was nobody left there you know like sonny was supposed to step in obviously sonny died but that was it was sonny's to take but um he, they couldn't trust Fredo, so um, so he had to do it. And then, the, like he goes on to the, about the next film, and his family was at risk. And what was he going to do? He had to do it. Like th- life gave him no choice, but that wasn't his plan. And he was trying to be sincere. And and that scene in itself just kind of helped me feel like this is everything that Michael has been struggling with. This is where we're seeing, you know, what he's dealing with today, and why he doesn't really want to be in this, and why he's kind of so um readily to an extent um wanting to just kind of give it all up to give it to vincent to take over he trusts him enough to say you know what he's going to be able to take care of this i don't want to be a part of this anymore later on in the film and that that shows me like i don't know if it's it's mario puzo and coppola or if even if it's al pacino but they they really understood the character at that point like they that's the message right there that they knew what they were trying to portray for him and i saw it all in that kind of one scene yeah uh and then we have our lovely mary corleone sofia coppola now we talked about her a little bit at the beginning about some acting things um the uh the original film had a lot of sofia in it and so so like Mary is young, you know, she's she's really kind of a kid. She's just there to kind of uh, prop up, unfortunately, even though it is legitimate, that's what her father says, but really it's there to prop up this foundation the Corleones have because there's other business interests that Michael's trying to get into so they can legitimize the business in itself. Um, and Mary's question about that, she doesn't fully trust her dad, she doesn't, she doesn't, but she wants to do good and do right by him and her mom. So she's there. And there's just obviously the relationship with her trying to hook up with her cousin, who she initiates and is really interested in more so than Vincent. And he kind of falls into it. But um, what do we, what do we think about Mary's character in this film as a whole? James, like, do you feel that I, there's an ending scene that we can talk about, you know, uh, of how this all plays out. But do you feel that she, we get enough yeah. of her character in this film? I know that they've cut some she- scenes out yeah. of her. From, like, how do you feel that she was portrayed in this cut? They do a better job of, like, kind of maintaining her. Because, yeah, Sofia Coppola can't act to save her life, right? Let's face it. <laughs> but, like, I remember her being in the movie way more than in this than this cut. Yeah, I don't know if, that's, if you guys agree or not. But I, I thought she was in the movie a lot more. Like they definitely trimmed down some of her scenes, or I mean, a lot of them, I think, which is fine because I think that would have just kind of gotten the way of the main plot because she's not very important until the very end. Tell you the truth, just because then it, I mean, and then it ultimately is pretty important because of what it what it all kind of means, you know. But um, um, for the most part, I think it works pretty well in the Coda cut, at least for what she's used as she's not 
into much of it, tell you the truth, which was nice for me, kind of. I was like, oh, okay. Because like I said, I I don't know. I don't know how much they even cut. Because, I mean, there's so much. I, I listed some stuff for you guys to look over, but it's not like you have to talk about it. But it's, yeah. like, there's a lot of little things that they cut, like little things, added different scores to certain parts. And so a lot of it I know that they did do with her parts. Like, they did cut some of it. So I'd be interested to see exactly what they did. But it worked. So... Yeah, uh, and Marco, can I ask you, were there any other characters that you really felt stood out for you that, that you know, need, needs to have a call out here? Connie Corleone, I think, stood out a little bit more in this yeah. one than the original. She's a much stronger character in this film than she is in the other two. Like, she's she's more hardened because she's obviously been through a lot of shit, obviously, in the first one. Like, her, she... She was abused by her husband. He beat her and stuff. And then the second one, she's going through like financial problems and, you know, going through divorces and shit. And now she it seems like in this one, she knows who she is and who her family is. And I like that she's kind of coaching Vincent and sort of being his consigliere. And even when Vincent becomes the new Don, it feels more like Connie is going to become his consigliere and the, like the older advisor more so than Michael because he just wants completely out. And I kind of like that. I like that. She, she has grown more into that. She's the one that actually like calls the hit on Joey Zaza as well, which, you know, is, is also surprising. Everyone, you know, thought that uh, Vincent acted on his own, but she sanctioned it. And I thought that was pretty fucking ballsy of her. Yeah. It was against Michael's yeah. word, but I mean, Joey Zaza had to go. He was a loose cannon. And um, uh, one thing I do want to mention with that is uh, she's a little more tame, actually, in this cut of the film. In the original is, yeah. one, they show her like calling the, the 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 hit. This one, they cut that whole scene out. So, yeah, they, they, they make it a little. She was a little over the top, I think, in the original cut. To yeah, story. I they they made her more wise in this one. And I yeah, like that. Exactly. Like yeah. she's not. Yeah, she's not like but standing her ground. Like, she's like, trying to defend her family still. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I and I like that. I think it helped her character a lot more. So um, I forgot she poisons dude at the end, too. I was like, oh, yeah, dude, I fucking like that, she's too. I was like, that. damn, she a killer. And she fucking she uses his shitty vision against them because she acts like she's going to like take a bite out of the cannoli and she doesn't. Hell is lie. Um, going to take a bite. She no. takes a little bit of the cream yeah, inside there, but I think it's, the cream, I, I assume it's the really cannoli really. that's uh, gotcha. actually. I've been like, this ain't the poison, poison one though, motherfucker. This is the other yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, she, she was another standout character. Um, going on the uh, Sofia Coppola thing. I, I, I do agree with James. I, I do like what they did with her scenes and, how they trimmed him down a little bit, and I guess they sort of kept like the best parts of it and kept it to where her her role in the film actually mattered and made sense. Like for the end, it was the last bit of innocence left in the family and the last bit of you know connection that Michael felt to the family that was you know completely yeah. taken away from him. So I I kind of like that. Um, and it, she she didn't overstay her welcome. You know I'm not gonna sit here and bash her acting skills because she's a much better director than she is an actor but um yeah, what they really what they kept actor. yeah what they kept was definitely you know a lot better also i i think that you know i think the the romance was initiated by both of them they were both fucking flirtatious at the beginning 
you know, hey, but that's uh, their that's their tradition. You're getting you know, lost in Andy Garcia's eyes. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would too. I'm not going to lie. It's Andy Garcia. As soon as you took that shirt off, I'd be like, well, I guess I'm yours, big guy. <laughs> you could just have me now. I will add, because um, we haven't really brought him up yet, and I just want to know about the phenomenon that is Anthony Corleone's singing voice, because he goes from an amateur singer to a professional opera singer within the matter of a few months. And let me tell you, the man can sing. Is that really him so, singing, though? I don't think that's No, him it's not really him. No way. Okay, I was like, that guy's got the voice of an angel, if that's him. So. I was like, I want to be a singer, Papa. And at the end of it, he's like, I'm the best damn singer in all of Italy. I'm like, whoa. Well, he's got <laughs> the connections to do it. I yeah, like that they showed uh, what's-his-face at the um, function in the first one, from the first movie, too. What's his name? Goddamn. Uh, God, the actor guy. It's the same guy that sings at the uh, the wedding. Oh, Johnny Fontaine? Oh, yes. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Johnny Fontaine. Cool. And he like, makes fun oh, of shit, him. He's there. I like that. <laughs> yeah. God, that's that's uh, that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel that a lot of the characters that mattered in this film to the plot got enough, like a more time and and more significant scenes, you know, mm-hmm. in in this film compared to the previous cuts where there was a lot of because again, it's all about the politics, but you can get that all muddied when you're spending too much time with one particular character who's like, what was the point of that, or it gets lost in whatever communication. Just like even the opening scene with uh, Michael and the Archbishop, right when they're talking back and forth, that scene is is such a a pivotal scene of setting up the plot that where it was before we. If it was set kind of in the middle of the film, it made it, it like made me made it more clear for me what was going on and what was Same. the purpose of everything that was going on. Yeah. Having this at the beginning of the film, so that kind these recuts that really made a difference. Like that, right? Right. It didn't feel that way. I didn't, you know, halfway, not even halfway, but like a you know a quarter of the way into the film, and you find out, oh, okay, so he, this is how he's going to go legitimate because he's got something on the Vatican, <laughs> you know, Immobiliari. like immobiliari but now it feels like it makes more sense on the motivations of what michael's doing because it's just kind of given to us up front yeah um and and you know going with that we talked a little bit about the recuts but do we what do we think about the cinematography i mean francis ford coppola do we feel like he's back in and the chair in charge, his old self, kind of old old hat for him. Uh, Marco, did you? What did you think about the visuals here and how he had this film shot? Uh, I think this one, it's not as as strong as the first two films, but I think it's still he still uses some shots that are very similar to the original Godfather films. Again, this edit feels a lot more like like a Godfather film because of the way it's it's edited and and, and he uses more of the scenes that are you know similar to the, the original film. Uh, James mentioned the scene where um, where Vincent is uh, getting named the Don and you have the kissing the ring and it's it's um it's it's shot different but it's it's almost akin to you know the first two times when you see that happen and obviously it's in a different location but still that that shot is still kind of similar to how Coppola set it up in the first two films uh you have the um the the scenes in Italy man 
kind of stand out. You see the countryside. Um, it, it's better back in the homeland. I feel like those, those scenes stand out the most. Um, the, the opera scenes, um, aren't, aren't that bad. The, the, you have the drama going on with the, uh, with the play. And then it's, it's juxtaposed with what's going on with like, uh, the bodyguards trying to get to like the, the assassin. I felt like those, those shots were handled pretty well. There's, there's a shot where it, it, it spooked me out, but it's like the fucking assassin. I think his name's Mosca, which means fly in Spanish, by the way. And uh, he's he's got this weird looking face, like he's fucking dead, and he's faking it, and then he stabs the fucking bodyguard. Um, yeah. I kind of like that shot. Them, dude. It's, like, it's, it's fucking freaky, man. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, not nothing too like grandiose like the the previous films, but um still very coppola ish and um i think it's still pretty good yeah and and james what about you and in regards to either the cinematography or even how they kind of change the score around a little bit do you do you feel that there's been an improvement there yeah I, um either with this cut or yeah, i you mean know, i i can't tell else? where the hell they, they change the score because i just don't know that well enough but you know looking at it overall once again if you just go that 4k disc it's fucking amazing <laughs> i think it's a return to form cinematography wise this thing looks great yeah so. it's great it's fantastic it's insane it's it's really what this format's made for too and it's like some crazy shit going on in this movie but for the most part i liked it i think it looks really good it's this best looking movie probably in like 10 years mm-hmm. compared to everything else no offense to cotton club which i think had some times that looked good but um yeah i liked it a lot and the music score it's you know they bring back the theme song too and it's, it, it works so well a, yeah his son sings it for him yeah, his son actually sings it for him, which is nice too to hear Anthony. Yeah, just sing I like the that scene a lot, song. by the way. And he's super sad because I think they played that during his wedding, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and he has scary. flashbacks of his uh, first wife. Yeah, mm-hmm. Apoliana. He's like, "This is where I was from." Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> my this family, my first wife. Ah! Sorry. <laughs> and then she died. Um, and let's talk a little bit about the ending scene, which yeah. has a slight change. Um, and it, I guess it, it does. I feel like it changes a bit of the impact. Though I think it's because of the the fact that the scene was cut the way it was cut. It it, it is very abrupt on how it ends. But at the same time, basically, uh, and we've already talked. Obviously, we're, we're going through spoilers in this film, but. Uh, as uh, the assassin tries to uh, take the hit onto Michael while they're walking out of after Anthony's performance from the opera, um, he takes aim and shoots, but unfortunately, not realizing it, misses Michael and shoots uh, his daughter Mary, um, who is in not aware that she got shot until it's too late, and everybody just kind of notices that she kind of collapses. They stop the assassin, but. It's too late from that point, and Michael is and Michael and uh, her mother Kay are both notably distressed. Everybody's just kind of being up, and and Michael, there's a there's a, the part of the scene where it just kind of goes quiet, and you can see everybody like yelling and wailing and upset. But Michael, especially, you can see the agon, agony that he's going through, and that yeah. everybody just kind of stops and stares at him seeing the pain that it goes through and then the sound comes back on and you can just hear him you know crying out in pain and it's, it is very detrimental 
to feel that uh, James kind of pointed out earlier that you could see the expression um, of of all that Micah had done to try to protect his daughter and just comes out in that one one bit of the scene um, and then finally kind of settles in at the flash forward I think what another 20 years or something like that or 10 years um, and he's kind of sitting in some chair slumped over in Sicily and um, in the original film they you see him die he just kind of passes out and in this film they kind of cut with it making it looking like he's kind of thinking about everything that he's uh, sat with over over his life yeah um I want to kind of go to you, James, because I know you, you, we, you and I kind of talked a little bit about the scene. What were your thoughts on how this cut ended, and especially the the very end where they kind of show him kind of sitting sitting in Sicily? I think it works. The, the it's it's so chaotic at the end, you know, and it, it it's a culmination of basically like this is Michael's life. Like he can't escape it, right? This is what it's trying to tell you. Like no matter what, you're trying to get out, but guess what? They're pulling you right back in and it's just loss and everything and obviously we don't see what happens and supposedly that scene is in 1997 so it's 18 years later and oh, okay. um i think he's actually in tahoe i think that might be tahoe by the way his compound in tahoe still oh okay so, i thought it was still seriously it could be there it doesn't matter where the fuck it is really but the, the point is <laughs> is like he's he's alone he's all by himself right and that is ultimately what his life has led to is that he's no family no one to care for him and he's by himself right so it's 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 just just shows him it's just it's even more sad you know it just shows like oh so this is what happens you know like this his life has led him all the way through all these you know part one and part two and now coda it's like ultimately it's not a it's not a good life overall you know it's a sad life and he's his daughter died and it's you know it's you know it's just crazy which is but i liked i like how they did it. i like that they don't show you him dying this time around and you know they, they quote that thing about like long life and Sicilians never forget about it but it's almost like I don't know it's almost like is there gonna be more but like yeah yeah kind God of, the cliffhanger kind goes of. back no yeah. but um it was I, I it worked for me I I, I didn't mind yeah. it you know I didn't have to see him die I mean it's just he's living like a terrible life basically it's just like this is the death of him is the the death of his life overall like doesn't matter it's just yeah, he's out of the game, but you know he's lost everything. So, mm. and what about you, Marco? How did the, if at all, did the ending impact you? Seeing this, this change. Oh, it did significantly. You you think it? You know, oh, so they change it so he doesn't fall out of his chair. But <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, it 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 is a better ending. You don't have to see him die. The death of Michael was his daughter. That his heart died right there. So yeah, that's that, true. Yeah. That's yeah. that's all you needed to kill him. That was the last bit of innocence left in his life. Um, so he was completely dead after that. And yeah, like James was saying, he's completely alone. All that power, all that money, all those accomplishments for what? To end up alone, miserable, no one to love you, everyone you know, like I mentioned, is either gone or dead. Like, you know, like was it in the end, was it worth it? And I, I started to really think about that Sentani quote, a Sicilian never forgets. And it's like, it's almost like he, that he was, we were just watching him reflect on his life and everything. Like he was just sort of thinking of yeah. those last few moments where he truly felt lifeless after. And he has to relive those moments because he'll never forget them. There's no way he'll ever be able to, to forget and that's sort of 
alluded to when he's confessing about Fredo's death. And we start to see that that decision really haunts him. It really does. Even when he's having a stroke, he yells out his brother's name, Fredo. And so now like it's, it's all these decisions that he has to live with and that are going to haunt him for the rest of his life. He, he is completely lifeless. So for them to cut out him, like, falling out of his chair and dying, I think was, was great because I mean, there's nothing left of him really at this point. So I, I think it was uh, a much better ending to the franchise than it was originally filmed. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I want to add on to a little bit of a trivia here that I'd read the other day um, that there, you know, you, you were bringing, you were bringing up James Ed doing a Godfather part four. There was actually talks of doing a Godfather part four. And um, it, yeah. it came about because Mario Puzo was getting older, um, was really broke, and they want to leave him some money. And so Coppola advocated to say, let's write a fourth film um, it, it, to the extent of saying that he'll have Puzo write a first draft and they pay him for the draft of the film and he'll take care of everything else afterwards. But yeah, I guess Paramount was being a bit... Um, you know, they they were going through some rough patches, so they didn't want to spend the money. But the film was supposed to be essentially another version of Godfather Part Two, where Vincent is in charge, and he was going to kind of go into the drug trade, yeah, in the eighties, and get the family into the drug trade. And they would do kind of a fa- flashback of his father before he was born, showing Sonny kind of doing what he was doing uh, back in the day. And then there might have been like one scene with Al Pacino coming in at some point um, just as a cameo but nothing more than that Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <But> <laughs> he just fucking yells yeah I'm here yeah. too <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like, wasn't like Leonardo DiCaprio he was thinking about Leonardo DiCaprio DiCaprio some shit yeah would have been young Sonny kind of thing which would have been pretty cool um, but but yeah Paramount was against it and Mario Puzo surprisingly left, <laughs> passed away I think it was like 10 days after like everything kind of came to light um all the rumors about doing a part four yeah yeah so uh obviously never happened but that would have been an interesting story to tell yeah man um so let's let's talk about our ratings what 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 do we really think about this capping off the trilogy of the godfather uh marco let me start with you how many stars did you give this i i give it three and a half stars i think it's really good you know it's not it's not great i think it's rewatchable it's not the the spectacle that the first two movies are but it's it's still an enjoyable watch and james what about you how many stars did you rate this film i would give this one three out of five so it's almost a 3.5 i'll tell you that much but i agree with marco it's not great but i think it's a good movie i'd rewatch it again obviously and i probably will so it's better than a lot of Coppola's previous ones in the 80s, you know? So this is like a step up there, I think. And it's one of those movies that, um, like I said, he, he gets into like a bit of a, a golden era for a little bit here. Or whatever, you know. A Small comedy. renaissance, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, little early 90s renaissance for our man, FC. So, so I can know him well <laughs> enough now. What about you? If you're listening. <laughs> I, I also, the same as Marco, I give it three and a half stars. Um it's definitely rewatchable. Definitely the superior cut, this version versus the original one. Um, and you know, I'll say too, part of it is if you 
hadn't really seen or had a connection to the original two films, having it be alone, the story, though it has some aspects of it, you know, of it being intriguing, it's not as interesting as like the Godfather one and two with the, where they could kind of stand alone because they have their own political turmoil that you want to know more about. That's true, this actually. one. Yeah. You have yeah, to this have one works well. movies to watch. Exactly. Understand it really, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this that. works better as a trilogy, as as a cap off. I'm I'm all about it. But if I was to just say that this is a film I I want to come back to all the time, I wouldn't necessarily agree by my, by itself without it. Being is there somebody out there that's only it. seen the third movie? They're like I've only seen the third movie. <laughs> I watch it all the time. <laughs> I don't get what it. The hell, yeah, film. never never got to the other two. I, I knew I need to get to it eventually, but I just didn't have time. What? <laughs> what the hell? There's always someone out there. You know that. Yeah, I guess. Leave leave a comment for us. Let us know why you do it. <laughs> Let us know why you do it. <laughs> we need to understand. <laughs> the Bill needs to know. He's going to be lying this awake at night. Now. I don't fucking get <laughs> this it. This is my life. All right. So oh. that is the end of the pod then for the most part. I just do want to uh, let everybody know. Thank you for listening. Marco, let them know how they can reach us. Uh, listen and follow us on your favorite podcast service. Trust us, we're literally on all of them. Just name one and you'll find us on there. But for a quick link to all our socials, visit us at linktree slash moviepalspod. Thank you, and make sure to smash that subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode. Make sure to also stay tuned for our next episode, episode 145, where we'll be reviewing the new Creed film, Creed 3, as well as Bram Stoker's Dracula for our next edition of Coppola Corner. Thank you. And until next time, this is James and Marco and Nabil. Have a great day.